Hey, this is Carl Anderson. I'm the senior pastor of Sierra Bible Church, and this is our sermons podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope that this message fills your soul with hope, helps you see the beauty of Jesus, and allows you to feel the love that God has for you. If you want more information about experiencing God's love for you personally, head over to sierrabible.org and contact one of our pastors. I love you, and I'm praying for you. We are finishing our series on the church this morning. We've spent uh, the previous five weeks, and we're going to land on this sixth week, uh, finishing up uh, our series on the church. What does God say his church is supposed to be? What is the church supposed to do? And we'll be going to be wrapping up this series today, and then next week is going to be Palm Sunday, where Pastor Glenn's going to bring us uh, the message from Palm Sunday on Jesus' return, or Jesus' entry into uh, Jerusalem just a week before he was crucified. And Pastor Cassidy's going to bring us the word on Good Friday, and then we are going to celebrate the glory of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. It is going to be a celebration of the fact of the reality that changes everything, that Jesus has risen from the dead. So make sure you invite your enemies uh, to come with us, because we don't just love our neighbors and our friends and our family, we also love our enemies. So invite your enemies uh, to come and join with us on Easter Sunday. Now you're all nervous because you're like, man, I'm going to bring my friend, but now Pastor Carl's going to think they're my enemy uh, because I brought them. I'm teasing. It's just a way to, to, to celebrate. It's uh, just a, a clever rhetorical device. Bring anybody who wants to come, and even some of the people who don't want to come, for our celebration of the Easter season on in two weeks from today, Easter Sunday. Um, but before then, we have to finish up, wrap up this series on the church. So let's imagine that you are at your Easter gathering. Uh, many of you gather with friends, family members after Easter Sunday service, uh, and you eat food, right? What's, what's some of the uh, typical, stereotypical Easter lunch, Easter dinner dishes that are served? Just go ahead and throw them out there, because I don't know all of them uh, that are out here in the West. What do you guys typically eat out here for Easter? dinner. Macaroni and cheese, says the southerner who considers it a vegetable. Uh, ham and creamed corn. Uh, okay, and, and he, I'm not even kidding. The macaroni and cheese, it says it on their, one of their, their signs in their kitchen. Like, in, in this house, macaroni and cheese is a vegetable. <laughs> okay. So let's imagine you go to your Easter gathering with macaroni and cheese and ham and creamed corn, and you have all of your friends and family members over to celebrate a, a, a wonderful Easter dinner. But then something happens, not just at your home, but throughout homes, uh, throughout the entire world, that as soon as you begin gathering, everyone's elbows don't work. No one in your friends, families, and household elbows work. Your, your wrists work, uh, your wrists work, but your elbows are locked into place. Now there's two ways that you could respond at this Easter gathering. The first way is selfishness. 
Of course this would happen on Easter Sunday. We have all of this food. We got ham and we got creamed corn. And now, now we can't even eat because our elbows are locked. And I can't like fling up the ham and try to get it into my mouth. I can't like throw the macaroni and cheese without splattering it all over my face. Looks like Easter is canceled. We are just going to have to starve. How many of you, if you went over to your friends or family members' household that in that this was the case where your elbows are locked into place, you think that it would descend into something like that rather quickly? Don't raise your hand because then you're calling out your friends and family members. Selfishness, right? Bitterness, complaining, of course this would happen to me. Everything bad always happens to me. But there's another way that you could respond as well. It's not rooted in selfishness, but rooted in love. You see, if you're in a gathering of friends and family members where you truly love one another, and you are entering into an obstacle in which your elbows are locked, the solution isn't trying to feed yourself. The solution is picking up the fork and feeding your friend, feeding your family member. The selfish people, they starve. The, one, the, the group of the friends and family members who love one another are well satisfied and well fed. Brothers and sisters, the, the, this imagery, this, this, this illustration is a picture of what the church, how the church is supposed to function. God divinely empowers his church to serve one another for their good, for the upbuilding of his church, for the glory of his name. And all of it, brothers and sisters, is rooted in love. We're going to talk through two things today. We're going to talk through the, the spiritual gifts that God gives to the church to serve one another and the structure of ministries that God uh, has in the church to ensure that those spiritual gifts flourish. But one thing that is important to understand before we go into an unpacking of the understanding of what the Bible talks about when it talks about spiritual gifts is that they are to be done and exercised entirely motivated by love. It is no coincidence that in two particular passages in which the Apostle Paul outlines what the spiritual gifts are, that he goes through a sustained discourse on love. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about all of these spiritual gifts in the early church that uh, the Apostle Paul is giving instruction on. This is what the spiritual gifts are. Then in chapter 14, he again gives more instructions. This is how the spiritual gifts are supposed to operate within the context of a worship service. But you know what's sandwiched in between the spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and the spiritual gifts in chapter 14? The most beautiful description of love that has ever been written. No overstatement. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul writes this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, 
I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. The big idea for the message today is that the church, the family of God who serves, the church glorifies the Father most when we're serving the body of Christ in love, deploying our spiritual gifts. The ways that the church serves one another is through, empowered by spiritual gifts. And it's important to know what these spiritual gifts are, uh, but it's also important to know that in, when the Bible talks about spiritual gifts, it gives them in a smattering of lists, four different lists in the New Testament, none of which I, th I believe are meant to be exhaustive, all of which are just descriptions of ways in which Jesus has glorified himself in his church by divinely empowering his people to serve one another. I've separated the categories into two distinct categories. One, the spiritual gifts that are based upon communication or the word, and then other spiritual gifts that are based upon service or action. And we'll just walk through each of these two distinct categories quickly. The first Word-based gift is a gift of apostleship. The apostles were given to the church, and the first generation of Christians, the apostles, was an office and was given spiritual gifts to lay down the foundation of the church. They exercised authority over the translocal churches throughout in the first century. They wrote books of the Bible. They were eyewitnesses to Jesus. The office of the apostle itself is... Uh, the office of apostle itself has laid the foundation for the church. Uh, the second 
of the gifts is the, is the gift of prophecy. This is the gift that communicates a revelation from God of who God is or what God is going to do. It's different than preaching or teaching, and it carries a specific authority for a specific person at a specific or a group of people at a specific time. This, according to the New Testament, this gift must always be evaluated and never to contradict Scripture or encourage people towards sin. And Paul says, that this is the, the gift that should be earnestly desired in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. The third of the word-based gifts is the gift of teaching. Teaching is the ability to, the gift to teach sound biblical and theological truth. This is the particular responsibility of pastors and elders within a church. According to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2, Titus verse 1, or chapter 1 verse 9, but it's also generally the responsibility for every mature Christian should be able to teach others in the church, according to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. This gift ranks in third in the higher gifts that Paul says are to be sought after in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. Uh, the next gift is the gift of evangelism. It's the unique ability of certain Christians to be able to communicate the gospel to those who are not yet believers with a, with a particular high level of effectiveness and fruitfulness. Some people say that evangelism isn't a technical gift because it's not mentioned as evangelism in the New Testament, but frequently Paul says, like in 2 Timothy, that pastors are to do the work of an evangelist. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about uh, that the church is given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. So the exercise of the evangelist is evangelism, as one that is done for the edification of the body. Uh, the third is, or excuse me, the, 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 the fifth is words of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, we, we don't know much about this particular gift because it's only in one uh, particular verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. But most likely it's divinely empowered personal counsel, advice, problem solving, insight into scripture, and a number of other types of communication that people say, wow, that was, that was wise, profoundly wise, or helps me understand a particular passage of scripture. And, and, and sixthly is the gift of exhortation. It's the Holy Spirit's empowerment of a Christian to encourage and to admonish other Christians. The goal of exhortation is always to love the body of Christ, to build up others in the body of Christ. These are word-based gifts that God empowers his people so that they might mature into the fullness of Christ as a church and as a body of believers. Uh, the next category are service-based gifts, and there are many of these. Uh, the first is leadership or administration. This is the Holy Spirit's empowerment of personal activities that give direction to a church or to other members of the church, directions of the church, or to actual particular people within the church. The, the gift, it's important to know that the spiritual gift of leadership and administration doesn't mean that the person has an MBA or a person is successful in business or potentially a school administrator. It just means that God is particularly gifting a certain individual to lead a church or a group of people in a certain direction that glorifies Jesus, that edifies the church. 
Uh, the, second of the, 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 the second of the service-based gifts are gifts of faith. A gift of faith is not simply the faith, saving faith that we receive or that we receive when we come to know Jesus, but it's the Holy Spirit's empowerment and endowment of personal acts of overcoming and persistent trust in God and his promises. So it's an ability, it's a supernatural ability that's given from God to say, you know what, God is going to intervene in this situation, or God is going to see me through in this situation, even when others even when the situation does not call for in worldly eyes of things to work out the way that people that you think. It's a special impartation of faith by the Spirit that it's used for the good of others. It's like in the church when we say, you know what, we're going through a tough time, but God's going to see us through this. We're going to stick together, we're going to keep pressing forward, and we are going to encourage one another to continue to move forward. The gift of faith. Third is the, the gift of service or helping. It's basically the Spirit's empowerment to come alongside of another, to show the love of Christ in helping assist others who are in the church. Uh, fourthly, we have the gift of giving, the Spirit, which is the Spirit's empowerment of giving financially, giving money for the advancement of the church and for the, for the, the, ministry, for, for the ministries for meeting the needs of others within the church. And fifthly, we have mercy. Mercy is a supernatural spirit empowerment to show compassion upon others, comfort and relief of other church members and its needy members. Sixth, we have spiritual gifts of healing or healings, when, as the New Testament talks about it, are just specific instances when God intervenes in a particular person's life for the comfort and the relief of its sick members. Uh, seventhly, we have the gifts of miracles as particular instances when God, by the Spirit's empowerment, uh, exercises acts of power for the advance of the kingdom that people just simply say this is all entirely a work of God. When there's a need for divine intervention, these uh, miracles are performed out of a heart of compassion for those who are in need of them. No, they're not magic, and they're not to be manipulated, and they can't be programmed. They are given simply by the power of God, the Spirit, for the good of his church. Uh, eighthly, there's discernment. Discernment is the Spirit's empowerment to recognize whether something is the influence of the Holy Spirit, it's good, godly, God-glorifying, or if it's a, rooted in demonic spirits or those that are opposing the kingdom of God. Uh, ninthly, as the gift of tongues, which is the, the Spirit's empowerment of communicating speech in a different language, like encoded speech that rehearses the mighty acts of God, like we see in chapter 2 of Acts, um, where it's human languages that they are talking about the, the, uh, in, in a human language that they don't know. It's like me being dropped off in the middle of Mexico City, and I have very little understanding of, of Spanish, and all of a sudden I'm speaking the gospel clearly to the people in, in uh, Mexico City. Uh, it also utters the mysteries, so the kinds of tongues. That's the one kind of tongues. The other kind of tongues is uttering the mysteries directed towards God that are not cognitively understandable. This is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 2 and verses 9. And then the other kinds of tongues are expressed prayers that are derived by one's spirit, but they bypass one's mind in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 13 through 17. 
the important thing about this is don't get all bent out of shape about them. Like, let's just talk about it and study the scriptures and come to our conclusions and don't, don't freak out, all right? Um, because the Bible's very clear in how this is supposed to operate and pastors and shepherds are going to oversee and make sure that nothing is going crazy. Because I know, especially in church contexts like ours, like, oh no, you're talking about tongues. People are going to get out their praise flags and start dancing around and shouting into the air and things are going to go crazy. Don't worry. And see you getting, some of us getting nervous even just mentioning it. Uh, tenthly, the interpretation of tongues. It's the in- Spirit's empowerment, the Spirit's empowerment of rendering the encoded speech of someone who is speaking in tongues to make that intelligible. Uh, the, when that speaking in tongues is happening publicly, 1 Corinthians 14 commands like, there has to be interpretation. And if no one is interpreting it, non-believers aren't going to understand what's happening. They're not going to hear. They're not going to know what's happening. And it's going to only bring judgment upon them because they won't be able to hear the message of the gospel. Uh, so if interpretation isn't given, you probably shouldn't be speaking in tongues. The point of all of the spiritual gifts, however, is the same as the point of the hand. The hand is designed to hold things. The arms are designed to lift things. The legs are designed to run. The feet are designed to give balance and to stand. And when each member of the body is functioning according to what it's been empowered to do, it works properly. The converse of that, if the leg wants to be the arm or the arm wants to be the eye or the eye wants to be the nose, it all is messed up and disorganized and disorderly. Brothers and sisters, let me just stop and pause here to basically say, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been given spiritual gifts. God desires for you to deploy them. Yes, it can get all confusing to try to figure out what your spiritual gifts are, trying to understand how you are uniquely designed to serve others. But all of it comes back to what we opened up this message with. And I'll I'll read the passage in chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And this is what Paul is trying to get at when he's teaching on spiritual gifts. Chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love. Pursue love. If you see somebody in the church that needs something, you see somebody else in the church, you see a ministry that needs to be be formed or to happen, pursue love and go do that thing. And pray earnestly that God gifts you the ability to do what love is compelling you to do. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the ones that are communicating the gospel to people who need to hear it. So that gives a basic, broad understanding of what the New Testament talks about in in terms of spiritual gifts. But if we just have spiritual gifts and we don't have structure, it's not orderly. If we just have muscles but no skin, uh, your muscles are going to be exposed. If we just have skeleton, if we're just a skeletal system with no, uh, with no muscle, we can't move anywhere. But God ordains that the church have structure and ministry that allows for the church to move forward with all of the empowered spiritual gifts. And uh, separated them into six categories of ministry. There's worship, which is ensuring that all things are done to the glory of God, whether in the worship gathered, when we gather together to focus on the glory of God, or is worship scattered as we go about our lives, giving all of the glory, all of the honor to God in every sphere of life. The church is called to ministries of proclamation, 
where church leaders are commanded in 1 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 2 through 4. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Church leaders are commanded to be ministers of the word who are proclaiming what God has said, whether it's in season and people are enjoying it and being built up and edified, or if it's out of season and people aren't receiving what God has to say to them in particular. Thirdly, the ministries of mission. This is where the church engages the non-Christian world with the gospel in hope that God might grant them eternal life, that they might make disciples and plant new churches. These are ministries of mission that is intentionally seeking out those who are not yet believers to see them come into the church and that churches might be planted. This is all done with hope towards discipleship. Discipleship is is the ministries of the church that are seeking actively to mature the members within the church. It's members in Christ. Help them follow Jesus more closely. And fifthly, we have ministries of care. That the church is to preserve, or excuse me, to persevere in doing good. Especially to those who are of the household of faith, as Paul says in Galatians chapter six, we are to care for the members, uh, care for the members of the church, whether that's practical needs like financially or moving boxes or doing that, or care for the spiritual needs of praying for the sick and laying hands on those who need care. And lastly, I've titled witness, but a witness is different than mission because witness is just going about your Christian life in the midst of a world that potentially might be hostile. The first way in which we witness most clearly is by caring for the needy and for the poor. As Paul would say, the very thing that I am eager, that I am eager to do. Uh, James says the uh, pure and faultless religion is this, to care for widows and orphans in their distress. One of the ways we display the witness uh, to the uh, watching world of God's love for us is when we care for the poor and for the needy. But as we, were, as we stand for the poor and for the needy of the world, we also stand against the evil and injustice that the world uh, is uh, is experiencing. We are both salt that preserves what is good, and we are light that exposes what is evil in the world as well. Uh, so I know some of you are computer people. Some of you do the, 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 the whole programming thing. Some of you know how to put together, put together uh, hardware on computers to, to make sure that it runs properly. Well, well, the spiritual gifts and ministries of the church are very similar to the hardware and the software of computers. The, the structures of ministry is like the hardware. They're the, the circuits and the, uh, and the wires and the connecting it into the wall and the, the screen and the keyboard and, and how everything hard, the hardware all fits together to make sure that the software can run properly. The software is like the spiritual gifts that empower the hardware to actually do what it's supposed to do. You can't have a computer without software because it would just be a bunch of plastic and wire and circuits. And you can't have software without, without hardware because it would just be a bunch of code written into nothing. 
You need both the hardware and the software. The, the structures of ministry, worship, proclamation, mission, discipleship, care, and witness, those are the, these are the hardware. These are the hard ministries of how to actually go about exercising the spiritual gifts that God has given to us so that we build up the body of Christ and so that we nurture one another and care for one another in the church. We need both structure and spirit if we are going to multiply healthy followers of Jesus who multiply healthy gospel-centered churches among all people. Brothers and sisters, or, or those of you who are here with us for potentially the first time, uh, we just want to invite you uh, during our worship service to get to know Christ potentially strike up a conversation with someone who is here that you know knows Jesus and, and talk with them about who he is. God might have a spiritual gift to put on display his love and grace and glory for you this morning to where you can see the, through the eyes of your spirit the, the person of Jesus Christ, the love that he has for you here in our gathering, and you can say genuinely to God, God, you are in this place among these people. And what a great privilege it would be to walk with you if you are in that place this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you and worship you for all that you have done for us in Christ. We praise you that you have called us to assemble, that you have given us your word, given us instruction. as to how to go about doing what you are doing, or doing, doing what you call us to do. God, we pray that you would allow for us to stand firm in the faith, to be nurtured and edified in the things that you are asking us to do. God, that we would increase in our holiness, our distinctiveness as your people, while also maintaining the bond of the Spirit and the unity that comes with you, the, the Son of God, being united to you. God, we pray that our witness to the world might be clear, we might care for those who are in need, and that we might surrender ourselves completely unto you. For you are a good and a gracious God who loves your children so much that you would send your own son to die on their behalf, to be risen from the dead so that we might have eternal life in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.